Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and get started this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Genesis, second chapter and 18th verse. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. We are studying the divine institution of marriage, and um, we are... Um, Indeed, taking a look at, at what that involves, and the best way to do that is look at the one that the Lord set up and ordained, go through it and determine exactly what it says, and that's the pattern. That's the pattern that he has set and established, so let's take a look at what he's got to say about it. We'll also look at some other major passages as we uh, go through this particular divine institution. Ephesians 5 will be one of them that we look at. 1 Peter 3 will be another one that we look at. And these are all tremendous passages describing what the Lord has in store for us and the blessings that he has through this divine institution of marriage. Before we begin, now let's take a few moments for prayer. Uh, it would have been very easy to get out of sorts over this last week and its events and uh, so it's best that we push all of that aside because when it comes to focusing on the word of God I think one of the reasons for all the events of this last week and probably the events of the coming week is because people have not stopped to focus on the word of God they have focused on the things of the world and the power bases of the world and all the uh, fame and fortune and power and pleasure and as a result they're not remembering what God has to say about things they pushed him out of their life uh, it's interesting how they call on him when times of need it's kind of like get rid of the police until you need them and then there's more than you can uh, shake a stick at but it's kind of the same mentality that grows from a, an anti-god position let's take a few moments though because this is this is important this is genesis this is the book of beginnings and it's a good place to start so let us pray Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you poured out upon us in the beloved, your son. Father, we thank you for this divine institution. And Father, we pray that indeed we'll learn about it. And Father, once again, see the sanctity of it. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as mentioned, all the divine institutions are under attack by the world, and they've got a pretty good stranglehold. And, and of course, uh, people look, look around and go, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix this? And I find that in the solutions, especially from the talking heads on the televisions and even on the radio, I find the solutions always involve worldly issues. But this is about worldviews. This is where the problem is, and this is what we have to realize if if there's any hope of changing this nation and changing the world it's got to start with individuals having the right worldview and being ready and willing to teach it and tell it to other people also being ready to live it because uh, I don't know about you, but people can spot hypocrisy a mile away. They can see it functioning, and most people don't want anything to do with it. So what we are trying to do is learn what does God have to say, and that's what we need to teach, and that's what we need to live. Now, we learned uh, in verse 15, that's where we started looking at this section, looking at the first marriage, which says, Then Yahweh Elohim took the man, he put him into the Garden of Eden to serve it and to guard it. 
That's what that's his functions. Serve and protect. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, Ha Adam, saying, From every tree of the garden, eating you shall eat. Now that's a one command that's got two parts to it. Eating is do it on a consistent basis. You shall eat is the command portion of this, this word. From every tree of the garden is what he is talking about except in verse 17 but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat is that hard to understand this is God talking to his original creation first and foremost and Adam although full grown fully mature and with an intellect Adam is getting very simple instructions that tree don't eat it's not hard to understand. Okay? For in the day you eat of it, you may eat from it. That denotes a potential that it could happen. He wasn't prohibited by uh, force from eating from this tree. He says, but if you do, dying, you shall die. Two words in there. Muth. It wasn't until uh, recent history that I'm aware of that that uh, some of our great scholars in Hebrew said, well, all that is with the doubling of the verb is just an intensification of it. Now, I think it has two parts to it because God knew well what he was doing when he used the word twice. And we're using this, and I'm, oh, Adam, by the way, this is just an intensification of the first word. I don't think Adam was quite prepared for such grammatical uh, niceties as that. So he said, dying, Okay, you shall die. And as I mentioned, it always bothered me why Adam ate and didn't die immediately. Because all I'd ever heard from the King James was, you shall surely die. Well, he didn't. So what happened? He did 930 years later, but he died spiritually immediately when he ate. So this is literally fulfilled. Now we find in verse 18 that the woman is made for the man. The ish, ha-ish, is made for ha-adam. And so, ha-isha, actually. Then the Lord God, in verse 18, again, this is Yahweh Elohim, said, it is not good. And if you see the it is, if they translated it correctly in your translation, they should be in italics, because it is is not in there. It just says, not good. How hard is that to understand? Not good for the man to be alone. This is the word bad, B-A-D-H. It's first of 200 usages that we find in the Old Testament. And the way, and it's the, the bait that's on it should be in his aloneness. In his aloneness. Not good for the man to be in his aloneness. Then a resolution. I will make him a helper. Now, I love the distinction between words that we find, again, in the, the Old Testament. I will make is the word asa. Now, we've seen the word bara back in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. Now, he changes here because he's made these things. And he uses the word asa, which means to make something out of something. Bara means to make something out of nothing which is what he did with its original use. And then asa means to manufacture, to take one thing and make something else. And he says, I'll make him a helper. And this is the word etzer. Now, etzer is used 21 times as a noun 
And it means a, an, a helper. It means an assistant. Um, as to the source of this help, this word is usually used to designate divine aid, divine assistance, particularly in the Psalms, like Psalm 121, first two verses. And it includes there both a material and a spiritual assistance. Okay, so the, the word's got a pretty good meaning to it. The root's used approximately 80 times in the Old Testament. The verb's actually used 81 times. Looking at personal assistance, uh, often in the sense of military assistance. To serve and to guard, didn't he have kind of a military establishment to begin with? And sometimes it's used simply as personal assistance, non-military in character. Now it says suitable for him. And this is the, uses this uh, conjunction key, K-I-Y, which means according to or like or as. And then neged, N-E-G-E-D-H, which is a word, first of the 150 times this word is used in the Old Testament. And it says literally, according to what's in front of him. According to what's in front of him is a, is a, is a I'll make a helper suitable, but suitable means according to what is in front of him. Now, <clears throat> yeah, its meaning in context is in a fashion that is similar to the male-female animals that he had just named. That's found in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. But he, is, he says, well, I've got all this done. This is a typical uh, example of Hebrew writing because... Verse 18 is the conclusion, and 19 and 20 give you explanation of it. It's a very clear usage of this. Suitable is about as good as you can translate the construction. We'll find the same construction in verse 20. Now, the man being the lone is the only thing in the garden pronounced not good. If you go back to Genesis 1, everything God did, says, and it was good. It was good. This is the only thing in the garden pronounced not good that the man be alone. He decides to make a partner for Ha'adam, for the man, to help in the tending and the guarding of the garden. So that's, that's the whole reason that he decided to make a couple, is to give an assistant in order to help. Now the principle is that God is aware of the needs, needs of man, and woman and can fulfill them so whenever we have a need yes we're supposed to go before the throne of grace and prayer to find grace and mercy to help in time of need yes we are certainly supposed to do that but you know the good thing is he already knows have you ever noticed how sometimes you pray to have a need fulfilled and then the need is fulfilled and you see God's been planning it for a long time yeah it's just like a whole series of things finally come to a culmination it wasn't chance, an accident. If you look to the Almighty and know His character, He had been planning it for a long time. So whatever need you have, God is already, He knows it, and He's already thinking about it. But see, keep in mind, He knows the difference between a need and a want. Okay? <laughs> he knows the difference between those two. Now in verse 19, He says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed... 
Now here is the word a little different than asa, means to make something out of something, or bara, to make something out of nothing. This is yatsar. This is the third usage of it. It's used in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter of the formation of man. Now, it's actually a pluperfect use. Not a pluperfect by form, but it is a pluperfect use, which means it's something prior. He had formed him at a previous time. Prior to God saying, not good that man should be alone, he had already uh, formed every beast. See, out of the ground, uh, the, the Lord God had formed every beast. How do we know that? We read chapter 1. See, so the context determines that this is a pluperfect. Much like Genesis 15, 6, which says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. Actually, Abram, back at that point in time. And people look at that, well, did, Adam, did Abram just get saved in Genesis 15? I thought he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis 12. No, it's a pluperfect use of the imperfect tense, which he had believed. I don't think God calls unbelievers. Okay, so Abram was already a believer in the Most High God, and God called him because he was the one that would be faithful. And so I think he was already a believer before he left Ur of the Chaldees and the land of his fathers and all their idols and all that stuff and went on down. So Genesis 15, 6 is another example of a pluperfect use of that, of that word. So and it, pluperfect just means prior time. That's a very simple way to explain it. He had formed every beast. Okay, he had formed every beast, every kaya. Again, used in chapter 1, verse 24, 25, and 30. Of the field, and every bird of the sky, literally bird of the heavens is what they're talking about, and brought them. Now here he pulls, moves to a hip field. And the hip field is a causative. He caused to bring them. Okay? Here are the animals that he formed, and he caused to bring them to the man, Ha-Adam, the man, with the definite article, the one man, Adam. Now, he didn't bring these animals to a committee. Did you notice that? Not a committee of people that he brought these animals to. So he brought them to one guy to make these decisions to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, living is the word chi, C-H-A-Y, a living creature, it's used in the singular. Creature is nephish, which is the word for soul. Hmm. A lot of people hate to hear that. Animals have souls. That's a different type of soul. Okay? But that's what it's used. used consistently throughout the Old Testament. And people frequently hide it. And a lot of them going, I hope Muffy can be in heaven with me. Or Tuffy or whatever. And, and some of them you hope burn in hell. <laughs> but I mean, they're, they're, some of the animals you wish, golly, they would sure be nice. I don't have an answer for that that's definitive on that. But I do know we're going to ride back here on horses the second advent so maybe there are some animals up there in heaven they have no ability to make moral decisions god didn't give them that i believe in regards to the angelic conflict so that they would so he could show he could make a living creature that did not have a, a ability to make moral decisions 
was different. They're not made in the image of God. Man is made in the image of God. They're a big difference. Whatever the man called a living soul, whatever the man named it, designated it, that was its name. Now, this is quite a deal. Humanity is similar to animals and birds made out of chemicals of the ground and alive. That's a similarity. Adam was created with intelligence, which is evidenced by vocabulary and authority to name the creatures. Now, I want you to think about this, because this all happens on day six. He makes the animals on day six. Now, how long did it take God to make animals? Fully mature, of different kinds. Yet again, God is not a committee. He made a decision to do that, and it was done. Form them out of the dust of the earth. That's what he did. Adam was created with intelligence, evidenced by vocabulary. It was made earlier in the day, brought in front of Adam on day six. See, he was also made on day six, brought in front of Adam, and he said, okay, name these. And you know, Adam was mature. Adam was not some hominid that grew up out of the swamps that suddenly came to a consciousness of his own existence and then developed a vocabulary. That's ridiculous, in my opinion, to even think that such a thing could have happened. And yet, that's common thought in a lot of um, so-called scientific circles. Being given the privilege of naming the animals was a sign of the authority given to Adam. Now, interestingly enough, all of you have a name, don't you? We all have a name. Who gave us the name? Our parents, grandparents. They had a committee meeting and decided what they were going to name us. But you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new name. And who's got the authority to do that? <laughs> the Lord. The Lord has the authority to give you a new name. It's going to be yours for all of eternity. So giving Adam that authority to name those animals was a big deal. I'm sure Adam didn't fully realize it at that point in time, but it was part of his object lessons. It was part of his training. He was getting authority to name these animals, which should have told him right away he's superior to them. Okay? He didn't tell the animals anywhere I can find, don't eat from that tree. Did he? Now, in verse 20, and the man gave names to all. See that little word? Preposition, call, K-A-L, every kind of. The cattle, behema, which is used primarily for domestic animals. Uh, not the kind that are roaming around out in the fields, but domesticated type animals. And to the birds of the sky or the birds of the heavens. And to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. See why we find that verse a couple of verses back? It says, not good, the man should be alone. Okay, how, did the, how was this conclusion reached? Read verse 19 and 20, and that's how it, was, how it was reached. Adam did not have that many animals to name. Now we look at animals, how many different names of animals have we got right now? We're in the tens of thousands. How many different animals did, did Adam have to name? Well, um, there have been Hebrew scholars throughout history, and about all they can find is about 150 names of animals and birds in the scriptures. 
See, and it was according to their kind, uh, which is a uh, barman created out of nothing. Uh, uh, it's it's one of the studies that people have been doing, legitimate scientists trying to go back and figure, all right, what were the original barrimans created out of nothing? What were these what were these creatures? Because, you know, if you had a dog, you didn't have to have a, a Fido and a Rover. You you had a you had, it was dog, Caleb in the Hebrew. This is you have a camel, gimel is the word in the Hebrew. You have a horse, Seuss. Okay? Notice how simple words are. One and two syllables for these for these particular animals. And he and behema is like it's a generic term for a domesticated animal. How many different different ones were there? Well, out of those first two, when they reproduce with the genetics, they can make other they can turn into other species, but they're not going to go from one species to another. They're going to actually uh, go from uh, different, into different kinds of horses, different kinds of dogs, different kinds of cats. But whenever Adam had to name them, I don't even know the Hebrew word for cat. I'm not sure if they even had one. They didn't like dogs, I know for sure. But the uh, uh, how many did he have? Well, it's about 150. So if he took three minutes per animal to go hmm that one's got a hump I'll go gimbal and however he did it I don't we'll ask him see that's one of the things we'll get to hey Adam do you have any trouble oh no that was fun so because they're pretty usually descriptive words that are put on there it's only about 150 of them if you calculate that out it's only about seven and a half hours that's about all it takes People say all oh, this won't fit on day six. I beg to differ. It will fit on day six. But notice here. Intellect alone will not complete a man. He's smart. He's mature. Okay. Physically. He has an intellect and a vocabulary. He's made a genius. We would call a genius back then. And you know it's interesting that um, no other ancient language has this extensive a vocabulary for the animals. Isn't that interesting? Here is Hebrew. And we don't know if Adam spoke Hebrew. I submit that he did. I think that was, that was the original language that came. And whatever it was, he had a vocabulary that could have named 150 animals. No other ancient language we know has that type of vocabulary, that extensive. See, I see God's hand everywhere, and I don't, you don't have to look for it very hard, and you don't have to make anything up because it's just, it's just there. Intellect alone will not complete a man because he said it's not good. <laughs> man should be alone. I'll make a helper to complement and to complete him. Now in verse 21 says, So Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep. Now this is the word tardema. It's only used seven times. That's, this is the first usage of it. It's also used in Job 4.13 and 33.15, and it indicates the REM sleep. We're near in the deepest part of, of the sleep. It's used in Genesis 15.12 of the Lord bringing this on Abram. 
caused a deep sleep to fall on Abram. Genesis 15, 6, remember, Abram believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. What's getting ready to happen? He is getting ready to tell Abram and make the covenant with him and make ratify the second part of the Abrahamic covenant. And he tells him about the 400 years of oppression that is going to fall on his descendants during this deep sleep. She used in 1 Samuel 26, 12, of Saul and his men being put out so that David could steal Saul's jug from beside his bed. Put him into a deep sleep and all of his men. So it's kind of interesting. If you're praying for deep sleep, God can give it to you. See, that's a simple principle out of there. He can give it to you. If he wants you to stay awake, maybe that there's something else to learn. But Proverbs 19, 15 says just being lazy will bring about a similar state. <laughs> we, we, yeah, oh boy. Isaiah 29, 10, it's used of a spiritual state that comes about consistently when the word of the Lord is rejected. We have a society, in a lot of cases a world, that is not just spiritually asleep. It's not a light sleep that's being talked about. It is a deep sleep that falls on mankind whenever they turn their back on the Lord, continually neglecting him. Fascinating statement there. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Nafal is a word for fall, used 434 times, first usage of it. To befall him, it, it, it just dropped on him out of the sky to fall upon the man. And he slept. This is Yashan. Yashan is a simple word for sleep, used 24 times. Then he took one of his ribs. Tazala is the word used for the rib. First of 41 times that it's used, it means a side. Now, <laughs> it's interesting the way this word is used because it's uh, used in the tabernacle to describe the sides of the tabernacle, the ribs of the tabernacle, if you will. It's used to describe the sides of some of the furniture that's found in there. The fact that he took one is what identifies it as a rib. And you might remember there are various, um, um, whatever you call those things, they stand upright, and I'll describe it. We'll play charades here. Uh, <coughs> But they're 15 feet. I can tell you all about them. I don't have the name for it. But they're just a piece of wood that's <laughs> this, wide, this wide, 15 feet tall. And they put them all together. That's the rib. It'll come back to me. It's column. I, I blanked all you guys out too. Mario, help. <laughs> no help? <laughs> it's like an obelisk, only they're all... They're, equidistant they're all the same size they're some of them coated with gold some of them coated with silver set in different pedestals and oh well we'll figure it out later it'll dawn on me about three o'clock this morning what no 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 inside the tabernacle the walls of the tabernacle the wood wood pieces that that uh go up and hold the coverings up what Post, pillars, pillar, I think is the word I'm looking for. Okay. A deep sleep fell upon me concerning that word. <laughs> it 
Anyway, he took one of the ribs out of Adam, okay? And he closed up the flesh, the basar is the word for flesh, first use of it, 270 usages of it, and it looks at that which covers a skeleton, something on the inside, something on the outside. He closed it up at that place. Now, see, there's no indication Adam was tired. No indication he got tired from naming all those animals and all that because the Lord caused this sleep to fall upon him. The Lord gave him a divine anesthetic and he just put him out. Surgery was then performed with apparently instantaneous healing. Now, this is often overlooked, but a surgery to take a rib out, if we were to go through that today, we'd be looking at six weeks minimum of healing to get this. But Adam, what did he do? He put him out. He took the rib out. He put him back together. And um, we don't realize that the, the great, the making of the woman was one of the great physician's greatest acts. We often don't see that. But here's the great physician at work making a woman out of a rib. Principle. Sometimes the Lord takes something away from us that he has given us in order to bless us and other people in greater ways. We look at things and go, oh no, it's gone, it's gone. Probably a good thing. We just have to look down the road and know that the Lord knows it. Sometimes we lose certain physical abilities to do more time, spend more time doing more spiritually productive things. We lose people or things we cherish in order to get us to more fully rely on Him. We take, uh, when He takes an unseen part of us, He can very easily make something very beautiful, and we often forget that. I've talked to people over the last few weeks upset about what's going on in our nation and they come to realize that the reason they're so upset is all about things they might lose things they might lose and then you start asking were these things really idols in my life because if it drives me closer to the Lord it's a good thing to lose them Nobody wants to lose what they've worked for all their life, but depends on where the Lord has been. And in the unrighteous nation, the innocent suffer. It's what happens. But see, we have a lot of people in this country right now that just pay lip service to the Lord. Sadly enough, many are probably at home watching the, the news shows more than they're watching at least somebody on the television that might be able to give them a a word of truth a lot of them decided well we're not ever going to go back to that church place anymore and yet what's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord is the question now <clears throat> verse 22 the Lord God Yahweh Elohim fashioned now this is cool this is another cool word I like these construction words having a background now this word bana which is the word it means to build he, the woman was built that's what he's saying. The woman was built. Now that's been used in a lot of different ways throughout the course of history, but the fact of the matter is the woman was built that he brought to the man. 
Fashioned as Bana, first to 376 times, it means to build as a city, is built to build as an altar or a tower. It means to make, to procreate, to restore, to establish, or to prosper. He built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman, Isha. That's a beautiful word that's used. It's the first of 781 times that the word Isha is used in the scripture. It's a feminine construction. The word for man is Ish. So if you have a, you study Hebrew, the masculine singular noun is Ish. The feminine singular noun is Isha, from the man. It's a very simple language in, in a lot of regards. Which he had taken from the man and he brought her to the Ish. This is the first use of the word Ish. He made the Isha, he brought her to the Ish. It's the first of 2,004 times that the word Ish is used in the Old Testament. Up to this point, the man, Adam, was known as Ha-Adam. The man. Ha is the definite article. Now, with a counterpart, he's known as Ish. Adam looks at the material part of which he was made. He fashioned the man out of the dust of the ground. Adama, the feminine word of, of Adam, actually means ground or dirt. That's where, where that word ends up. Ish looks at Adam, the husband, who is called to serve and guard and be fruitful and multiply. Ish is often translated as nobleman in order to distinguish it. And it indicates that he is to be a man of honor, a man of duty, with meaning and purpose, which is to serve and to guard. So it's all wrapped up in the selection, careful selection of the words that Moses recorded in here, inspired of the Holy Spirit. So remember, the only thing pronounced not good in the garden was the man being alone. Only thing pronounced not good. Without a female, there was no way to fulfill the commands to multiply and fill the earth. Now, <clears throat> and again, even with the animals, what came first, the chicken or the egg? That shouldn't even be a question. The chicken. <laughs> Did God make a bunch of eggs of dinosaurs and eggs of this and eggs? Of... Did God make a bunch of eggs and then they hatch? See, if they're not mature enough, then they can't reproduce. They have to be mature in order to reproduce. We did not come out of a primeval soup. It makes no sense. There would not be a second generation. If the first generation was not mature enough to reproduce, it wouldn't have happened. That's simple reasoning. Now, <clears throat> the Lord's plan included making a helper for the man. Now, notice it was planned all along. You know, he didn't bring all the animals to Adam and they go, whoops, we need something else. He had already planned it. He brought all these to Adam so Adam would see his need. Because Adam didn't know he even had a need right then. But God knew he had a need. So he said, you, you have this need. Now, <clears throat> the word helper is generally used to designate divine aid, including both the material and the spiritual.
spiritual. Psalm 121.1, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come, my etzer come? My help, etzer, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's a psalmist. The most common usage is for military assistance. Thus the woman is to assist in the guarding of the garden. So that kind of tells us that part of what she was to do, Eve should have went right straight to Adam and said, I got a snake talking to me here. Okay, that's what she should have done. Not what she did do, but that's what she should have done. She was supposed to help. Because here is a snake telling her the opposite of what God had told her. Through Adam. Adam was responsible, responsible to teach her. Now did he tell her? I would think so. You know, there's only <laughs> two big commands. See all these trees? Eat from them. See that one? Don't. Okay. Now, he mashed the man together and formed him like a potter working with clay while the woman was built out of a rib like an architect assembling the pieces a little different construction measure so men we're not built okay the woman is built we are mashed together that's what we are so when you look in that mirror and go you good looking thing you don't you ever die just remember, you are mashed together. That's how God made us. He designed the pieces to fit together with the man. So she would be suitable for him. So that they would be able to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So they could become one flesh. He gave her a different soul. Yes, men are from Mars. No, they're not. They have different souls, though. Men think about things differently than women think about things and it's not that either one is wrong it's that they are different they are designed to complement so when they get in a battle over I've, I've done a whole lot of uh, marriage counseling premarital counseling counseling after the marriage I've done a whole lot of that and sometimes it's it's like um, well the car is blue no it's a Chevrolet and they're arguing over silliness like that because if they, and they, they teach police officers in training they'll say if you need a witness you ask a man what's the make and model and if you want a color you ask a woman because they can that's what they see okay different things is either one of them wrong neither one of them's wrong okay they're both right but you put them together we got a blue Chevy we're looking for here. So that's, that's how they're designed to complement and complete each other. Genesis 1, 26, 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And again, the animals were just created. Okay, in 24 and 25, According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He barad them, created the soul out of nothing. Now that's interesting to note, isn't it? Created it out of nothing. He built the woman from the side of the man indicating she's to be an object of tenderness and protection 
It's the first wedding ceremony. I find this interesting. Would you call this ceremony arranged? An arranged marriage? You know, whenever you're the one wanting to get married, you don't want mom, dad, or anybody else put input. You want that to be your decision. In a lot of countries, marriages are arranged. And it's, it's quite interesting. And, and oftentimes, they work very, very well. Now, <clears throat> here's an arranged marriage. And I actually want to see the video of putting all this together. I, I like the Lord to, when we get there... You know, what can we plug in? What button can we push where we can really see Adam and Eve in the garden and making it and, and uh, making these, these creatures? Now, a helper is one who's like the Lord. When you start looking at what a helper really is, they care for the poor. That's what they do. For he, a righteous king, will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also and him who has no helper. So, what does that tell you, ladies? Men are needy. Okay? Women are needy, too. The men's supposed to realize that. But what does it tell you? Just the very fact the word helper comes here. And what does it mean? You're supposed to be Christ-like to him. Now, it doesn't let the men off the hook. <laughs> it doesn't let them become the dictator in the family. Not by a long shot. In fact, what they are called to do to serve and protect, they're supposed to be the leaders in the family in those areas specifically. Now, <clears throat> a helper is one who cares for the fatherless. They care about other people. See, this is what a helper is designed to do. Women are frequently a lot more caring than men. Now, I know there's, there's differences back and forth and all this stuff, but this is basically the way God designed things. Women are more caring than men. Uh, cares for the ill. A helper is one who is like the Lord. Cares for the ill. Does the Lord care for the ill? I'm glad he does because we're all born sick. We need a great physician. He cares for the oppressed. Those who are put down, those who are mistreated, those who are unfairly treated. A helper cares for those under stress, distressed. Psalm 86, show me a sign for good, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, O Lord, have helped me, and you have comforted me. So a helper is one who is like the Lord. God himself is the supreme helper. He's just filled a need for, ma for the man and for all of his descendants. In Hebrews chapter 13, we jump into the New Testament, verse 5 and 6. Make sure your character is free from the love of money, it says. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Psalm 56 is where he quotes that from. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now, doesn't that give us faith in the face of fear? Doesn't that give us calm and comfort in the face of fear? When people come after us? I don't know. You guys are aware of it. But... Uh, the world has just gone up a notch in power, and it's coming for us. 
Now, how are we going to face it? Are we going to face it by continuing to live the life that God has called us to live? Or are we going to run from it? Now, I don't believe it means for us to go out and take up arms. And they look at all these people supposedly going to assault all the, the capital and everything else. There'll probably be some, but it, the whole thing, just tell you the truth, looks like a setup to me. And I'm not real sure that that's what's going to happen to the uh, uh, God-fearing, th that that's what they're going to do with the God-fearing people. You know, we know the Lord's got it in His hands. But sometimes, <laughs> somebody said, if you got a tool to work with, it says, like, standing next to the ground with a shovel and praying that God will dig a hole. If you got the shovel, <laughs> use the tool. Okay? What are your tool? The Word of God. Don't back off from it. Don't be shy about it. Could it cause you pain? Yeah, it could. You won't be the first, and no, nor will you be the last. Jesus became the helper in the flesh. You know, and he sent the Holy Spirit to take his place. John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1.14, 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 14, verse 16, I'll send you another helper. Isn't that what he said? Jesus, the upper room, night of the cross, said, I'll send you another helper. He was a helper all along. Now see, he was a he. Jesus was a he. And he was a helper. He set the model. as to, That's why all those who are going to help others should be Christ-like. That is the model he designed. God calls humans to join in helping him through encouraging one another. Therefore, the main roles of women by the power of the Holy Spirit is to encourage men. And you know what? It says encouraging one another. Multiple times, men are to do the same thing to women. We're to encourage one another. Now, <clears throat> human helpers will find out that you've got to ask the helper for help. That's a whole lot of words saying the same thing. But if you've ever been a caregiver for a person that is very sick and getting ready to pass, you know exactly what that's about. Because you're trying to help, and you are a caregiver, and it reaches a point that that's about as far as you can go. And you have to go. You can't go on your own energy anymore. You have to go in front of the Lord and ask for the energy to be able to do what you're supposed to do. It's righteous, the righteous who can anticipate God's help. If you're functioning in a righteous way, seeking to do that, anticipate it. God is there to help. He likes to do that. You know what we don't like to do? Ask for it. The arrogance of humanity doesn't like to ask for it. We're going to do it ourselves, one way or another, oftentimes without God, and we ought to start with asking God. That's humility to begin with. A woman is to, to assist her husband. That's the bottom line. Three principles out of Genesis 22. A woman's to assist her husband. Again, it doesn't say that a husband's not to assist his wife. Because those, those things go back and forth. The second thing is a husband should see his wife as divinely provided. Provided. Here's a divine provision for her. And the third thing is a man is to serve and guard that which has been trusted to him. Why was he put in the garden to serve and guard? Okay? And it begins with his wife. A man is to serve and guard that which has been entrusted to him, which begins 
with his wife. Now think about Adam and Eve for a minute because wow, what a deal. The verse, next verses coming up are really cool. They're really, Adam first sees this, this creature that was built especially for him. And his response is really, really cool. But I'll save that for next week if I can. But they're in perfect environment. They are perfect people. They haven't fallen. Now think about this for, for a while. This is going to be absolutely wonderful. But after the fall, everything will be changed. It will be greatly different and ex become exceedingly difficult. They're going to need the helper of the divine help more than ever before. Just as we still do as we're born in Adam. Great passage. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and grace and love, for all the blessings and the test. Father, we thank you for this divine institution. And Father, we know it is under such amazing attack by the world. Uh, some have even come out and said they want to do away with anything that resembles an institution of marriage and family and nation. And they want to become globalist. And Father, we know that is anti-Christ. That is not your plan. So Father, I pray we'll be able to recognize it when it rears its head. And be able to have an appropriate response to it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.